Let me ask for some dating advice from Jordan Peterson. How do you find on that topic the love of your life? Here we go. That's a good question. I was asked that multiple times on my tour, three times in a row, in fact, because we ask people to use this Slido gadget. That's a popular question. To vary. It always came up to the top. And (laughs) I got asked that three times in a row, and I didn't have a good answer. And then I thought, why don't I have a good answer? I thought, oh, I know why. Because that's a stupid question. (laughs) Of course. Well, I mean, here's the thing. Love of your life implies that there's a one. And the truth is that there is no one. There are many ones. There are many girls that can make you happy. But there is no one. Every person is fundamentally imperfect. So there's no person that's actually perfect for you. And you're not really missing out if you, quote-unquote, never find this person. Because, again, there is no perfect person anyway. So, there it is. <laughs> so, so why? Yeah. Why? Because it's, it's putting the cart before the horse. Here's the right question. How do I make myself into the perfect date? Right. So, so the point is, you need to not seek someone to fix your problems, but you need to become a superior man. And then once, you've, once you become a superior man, a competitive man, a man that other men want to be and other women want to um, get with, then you'll have your pick of the litter and you'll get a, a good girl. That's actually true. Um, but again, you have to understand what perspective you're becoming superior from. Because if you become superior from a girl's perspective, you're going to have a bad time. You're going to be miserable. And here's why. Um, You're going to be miserable because women will tell you wrong advice on purpose because it favors them, right? If you become a useful idiot for women, um, then you are helping their bedroom fund strategy and and, um, destroying your own. The, The adage is that in order for one gender to win, the other gender has to lose, right? In order for one of the bedroom fund strategies to be achieved, the other one has to be um, you know, compromised or destroyed, right? So that's that's the idea there. You answer that question, and you will not have any problem answering the previous question. It's like, what do I want in a partner? Mm-mm. If I offered everything I could to a partner, who would I be? That's actually true. Yeah, if I offered everything I could, and this this advice is especially good for women, right? Because a lot of these girls, what they do is they don't offer everything. They give everything to Chad and then to any other guy, they don't give everything. So the guy always feels like he's second best, like he's like he's garbage, right? Um, yeah, so no, that's, that's accurate. Uh, for men, it's not really like about giving so much as it is providing value, right? So you as a man need to be, you know, strong, fit, uh, confident, powerful, charismatic, competitive, etc., right? And once you're, you have these traits, you'll be successful. Hello and welcome to Helios blog. My name is Helios here for another reaction video. If you're new to the channel, liking the content, hit that sub, hit all for notifications. If you'd like to support me, I do have a Patreon with exclusive content, newly revamped, posting weekly content, patreon.com slash the Helios blog. Just go there and subscribe. Again, it's patreon.com slash the Helios blog. You could also drop me a donation like Tom M here. Shout out to him. Link is in the description. Let's continue. You work on that. 
ask that question. Just ask. Just ask yourself, okay, I have to be the person that women would want. That's right. Exactly. Perfect freeze frame, by the way. <laughs> but anyway, um, yeah. So what is the man that women want? Well, the man that women want is the man from the romance novel. She wants a prince who is highly rich and who she can't control, right? She wants Christian Grey, right, from, uh, from Fifty Shades of Grey. She wants the vampire. She wants the pirate. She wants the werewolf uh, from Twilight. That's, that's what women want, right? And if you can be that feral, animalistic man who, for some reason, she is able to, um, you know, convince to be with her, well, that's a winning combination, isn't it? Okay, what do they want? Clean? That's not a bad start. Okay, all right. No, he's, he's not going to give um, good traits now, I'll bet. But here it is um, for men. Better than her in every single way. Taller, smarter, faster, stronger, uh, more charismatic, more friends, better friends, better job. Everything. Makes more money. Everything. Better than her. That's what she wants. And ideally, you'll also be praised by other men, right? You'll be, you know, congratulated and, and um, you know, loved by your community, right? Uh, because the girl, by extension, gets praised for being with you. That's the, that's the idea there. So it's called a social proof, right? Other women want to be with you. Um, other men want to be you. That's, that's the idea there. Reasonably good physical shape. Indeed. So healthy. Productive. Generous. Honest. Yeah, like some of these traits are true, you know, like, but productive, uh, generous, honest. These are not necessarily traits that women are, are uh, bedroom fun attracted to. They're attracted to those traits in the long term, right? For, for provisioning, for security, right? These are traits of beta males because Jordan Peterson, he's a beta male himself. So um, he doesn't know how to, you know, but yes, no, he's, he's totally right about like physical shape. Um, women are attracted to dark triad males, right? More than they are to, to, to beta males, right? To, to um, well, not all alpha males are dark triad, but it's, it's correlated, right? So psychopaths, narcissists, Machiavellians, this, this kind of thing. Um, so the traits he's describing are actually not necessarily attractive to women in a bedroom fund sense. They are attractive to women in the sense that um, they want provisioning for the children, but men that favor those traits, men that favor those qualities, what's going to end up happening is the girl will sleep with Chad, she'll have Chad's kid, and then she'll look to you when she's older to have those traits to, um, you know... Um, take care of her kid that she had by another man. So just watch for that. Be, be careful of that. Willing to delay gratification. So you dance with a woman. It's like, what's she doing? What are you two doing? Well, it's a pattern. You're, there's patterns happening around you. That's the music. Patterns. Patterns of being. That's the music. Now, can you align yourself with the patterns of being gracefully? That's what she's checking out. And then can you do that with her? And then can you do that in a playful and attentive manner? 
and keep your bloody hands to yourself for at least a minute. It's true. Yeah, that's right. Um, now, again, yeah, yeah. Dancing is not really about delayed gratification. Well, it kind of is, because dancing is very similar to bedroom fun. So if the girl, you know, knows that you can dance, she knows that you can you can be a good bedroom fun partner. It's, it's true. Um, but dancing isn't actually about delayed gratification. Dancing is about uh, performance, right? And the burden of performance is always on men. If you perform well, she will find you more attractive. Um, if you don't perform well, um, it can only go down from there. I mean, doing well at dancing doesn't necessarily mean the girl will be more attracted to you. It just means that she won't be less attracted to you. And so, can you dance in a playful manner? It's like, you can go through this in your imagination. And you know, you'll know, you know. And then you think, well, how far am I from those things? And the answer is usually, man, it's a pretty horrible abyss separating you from that ideal. But the harder you work on offering other people what they need and want, the more people will line up to play with you. That's absolutely true. Absolutely true. The more value you provide as a man, the more desired you are. It, it is absolutely true. Um, which is why I recommend being, um, you know, a pillar of your community. Um, but here's the thing. That doesn't necessarily make you more attracted to women. You can be a pillar of your community. But if you're not physically attractive, charismatic, and, and well-connected, it, it, doesn't, it, it doesn't really matter. The pillar... Uh, kind of helps you to be well-connected, but it doesn't help you to be physically attractive. It doesn't help you to be charismatic. You need to practice those skills as well, right? It doesn't help you with your provisioning ability. I mean, it can, but it, it depends on what the, the pillar of the community activity is, you see? So it's it's quite complicated, actually. But no, he's, he's right about that. So it's the wrong question. It's like, how can I be the best partner possible? And then you think, well, if I do that, people will just take advantage of me. Well, yes, but because you have so many options, you can weed out the people who are taking advantage. The idea is you want to become the chaste rather than the chaser. That's what Jordan is getting at, right? If you're the best partner possible, you're competitive. If you're competitive, then you have more options. If you have more options, you can weed out the girls who are users, the girls who are rude, the girls who are disrespectful. You can weed them out. You never have to even deal with them, right? In a serious way, I mean. And that's the non-naive objection right? Because the naive person saying, well, I'll be good and everyone will treat me right. It's like, if only the cynic that says, true. no, I'll be good and someone will take me out. And then you think, well, what do you do about that objection? And the answer is, well, you factor that in. That's right. Exactly. You have to understand that once you are valuable, there will be people that try to take advantage, right? And those people that try to take advantage have to be weeded out. They have to be selected out somehow. No, it's absolutely true. Very nice. Very nice advice, Jordan, actually. Okay, um, here's an article by Rollo. Uh, we're not going to read that much of it um, because we don't really need to. You'll see why. Wives and lovers. Okay, so this is from Dead Bedrooms. Uh, by the way, if you want to feel depressed, read the post on Dead Bedrooms. 
My husband introduced me to the sub and honestly, I'm shaken by the number of stories. We had an active bedroom fun life before the baby, maybe four or five times a week, but stopped when I got pregnant and it's been an issue ever since. I'm a good wife in other ways. I cook for him. We split household and child duties. I don't get how he can't just be happy with his life. We have an amazing son. We do a lot of activities together. Preschool, church, swimming, music lessons, go to parks. He and my husband play sports together in the garden. We have a nice group of friends and often have barbecue or go out together. We both have good jobs and stay in a good neighborhood. I don't need bedroom fun to be happy and I don't get why he does. It seems he's making himself unhappy by not enjoying all these things. We have bedroom fun about once a month and honestly, I hate it. I don't want to do it and don't see the point. He's happy if he thinks he's getting it that night, which suggests a mental attitude adjustment. Life is more than bedroom fun. I can't believe some people can obsess about it so much. Top comment. As a woman with kids, I feel you're taking advantage of her husband and probably driving an enormous wedge between you two. Instead of gently leading into a discussion about maintaining your identity as a mother and as a lover, you just disrespect your husband, basically. Okay. So, um... The idea is this. In an age of feminine social primacy, women's feelings of romance are at a premium. We matter-of-factly presume that it's a man's responsibility to not only invest in and provide resources for his wife and children's well-being, but it's also almost exclusively his burden of performance to stimulate and maintain his wife's romantic interest. I've argued that the position of women... um, that women of today don't find the good guy, who's a man attempting to embody the best aspects of AF and BB... Uh, They didn't find it a believable role. My assertion is that women expect and desire those aspects in different men at different times as needed. However, the social narrative still places the best of both aspects burden on a man who does commit to a woman in the long term. With the exception of only the most adept, affluent, and exceptional of men, this expectation is a Sisyphean recipe for failure. No matter which aspect he excels in, the other aspect potentially becomes his personal flaw. Although his personal strengths may compensate, feminine primary social expectations place him in a no-win position. So, uh, Bad Painter and Sun Wukong had an interesting exchange in this week's comment thread. So Bad Painter says this, New gal states clearly women must be uh, garden tools for women to get laid. This also means women must be garden tools for women to get laid. Why must that be true? Because new gal alludes to a dirty little truth so ingrained in the social consciousness, it's a cliche. Wives hate bedroom fun. Therefore, women, uh, garden tools and otherwise, get married so they can stop having bedroom fun, except as necessary to get pregnant. Think about it. The girlfriend provides bedroom fun good enough to motivate a desire in the man to commit. After the wedding is a period of at least adequate bedroom fun, followed by a decline to little or nothing if she can get away with this. When the wife becomes suitably frustrated, disenchanted with the marriage, she changes title to divorcee and is again free to become a bedroom fun creature. The source of the problem is that women have very little sense of self that is internally derived. Therefore, they play roles defined externally. These roles are proxies for their identities which barely exist. In 2015, wives are not defined as bedroom fun giving or bedroom fun giving uh, or bedroom fun having at all except for the honeymoon period. If the bedroom fun uh, giving wife exists in this culture, it's the adulteress giving herself to men other than her husband. Sun Wukong replies, Oh, absolutely. The wife that hates bedroom fun is such a thing now, I really think it's what makes even BP guys at least pause on the way to the altar. Do I really want to put a libido-draining fat license on a finger? I think that premise is largely built out of feminine cynicism about settling for beta bucks. They all know the script so well that they assume they're going to marry a guy they never want to sleep with. Imagine that, assuming you're going to hate bedroom fun for the rest of your life. What a horrendously awful view of a man you haven't even met yet. And he's not even met you, but assumes he'll be happily making love to 
to you for the rest of his life and you'll do the same. What a disconnect. Oh, well, at least the kids will be happy, right? Anybody? What band painter and son have illustrated here is the direct result of placing a romantic condition for love as the prime requisite for a committed relationship. It's important to grasp that any relationship founded on genuine desire will necessitate genuine passion and not a small amount of feral lust. However, it's exactly this pre-commitment bedroom fun chemistry that will later become the exclusive responsibility of a man in that commitment. The character that is a wife is now socially and popularly expected to move into a bedroom funless, passionless, and unexciting condition by being married today. All epiphany phase rationalization aside, marriage is viewed as the end of the party. Being a wife is boring by comparison. I explored this detail in uh, Beta Bedroom Fun and As Good As It Gets, but what I find ironic is in light of Dalrock's assertions about romance primary intergender dynamics, it's the very pretense of that romantic true love context that supposedly legitimizes bedroom fun is killed within the confines of marriage. In fact, women expect and anticipate that the bedroom fun desire they find so important in the romantic context will necessarily die once they become a wife. The pretext of being a wife is a socially excusable expectation of progressively losing bedroom fun affinity for the man she agrees to marry. So what woman wants to be a wife? Women become wives due to the necessities uh, and ever-decreasing capacity to maintain a lover requires of them. Okay, back to this video here. That's why you're supposed to be, what is it? As soft as a dove and as wise as a serpent. It's like, I know you're full of snakes. I know it. Maybe I know it more than you do. But we'll play anyways. And Take that's the good, risk that's, anyway. That's right, voluntarily, right? It's like, and that, what's so cool about that is that even though the person you're dealing with is full of snakes, if you offer your hand in trust and it's real, you will evoke the best in them. Yeah. And that's true even, I've dealt with people who were pretty damn crim- criminal and pretty psychopathic and sometimes dangerously so. And you tread very lightly when you're dealing with someone like that, especially if they're intoxicated. And even then, your best bet is that alert trust. It's the, it's the only, it's the fact, the only thing I know that, like I had one client who was a paranoid, he was paranoid psychopath. That's a bad combination. He was a bad guy, man. He had like four restraining orders on him. And restraining orders don't work on the sort of people that you put restraining orders on. And he used to be harassed now and then by, you know, a bureaucrat in a bank with with delusions of power. And he would say to them, he, he used to kind of act this out to me when I was talking to him. He'd say, I'm going to be your worst nightmare. <laughs> and he meant it. Yeah. And he would do it. He had this obsessional, psychopathic vengeance that was just like right there, paranoid to the hilt. And paranoid people are hyper acute. So they're watching you for any sign of deceit or manipulation. And they're really good at it because like they're 100%. That's what paranoia is. It's 100% focus on that. Yeah. So what is the idea here? The idea is that what Jordan's saying is just just take the risk anyway and and trust in the person they'll show you they'll show you their best side. Well, only if you truly understand female nature, right? Can you do that, right? You can only 
cautiously enter into a relationship, right, let's say, or any kind of arrangement, if you actually understand what girls are like, right? If you don't understand that that girls can manipulate, you know, their tears are used to, you know, make you feel guilty and, and so on, um, you know, their oaths are etched in water and all that. If you don't understand that, like, female nature is like this, if you don't understand they're hypergamous and solipsistic, like, you you can't then get a good relationship because your behaviors will not be aligned with the truth. They'll just be aligned with, you know, the cultural narrative that's around that says women are sugar spice and everything nice. Um, but they're not, right? Not necessarily, right? They, the, the funny part is that they are or, or can be if you are hyper competitive and understand their nature and, you know, and, and meet like a million different criteria. But a lot of men say, what's the point of even becoming competitive if I have to deal with this feral creature? And the truth is that the benefit is reproduction. That's all I can tell you. That's what, like the only way for your genes to pass to the next generation is that way. Sadly, maybe. And even under those circumstances, if you step carefully enough, you can maybe you can avoid the axe. That's a good thing to know if you ever meet someone truly dangerous. Uh, absolutely. I believe in that, that being fragile, nevertheless, taking that leap of trust towards another person, even when they're dangerous, especially when they're dangerous. If you care, if there's something there in those hills you want to find. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, One of the laws of power is to avoid the unhappy and the unlucky, right? So these sorts of people, I would say, you would want to avoid. Um, But there is no avoiding female nature, right? If you want a relationship with a girl, you're going to come face to face with female nature and you might as well know the truth, right? And you might as well, you know, base your actions on the truth. Otherwise, you're going to have a bad time, right? Like... This is how men end up in, you know, dead bedrooms or garbage marriages or garbage relationships. Uh, They end up that way because they don't understand female nature at all. They don't understand how women work. And so, because they don't understand, they just get taken for a ride. Because the cultural narrative is there to trick you. That's that's probably the only way you're going to find it, is Mm -hmm. taking that risk. Yeah, okay. Anyway, uh, let's go to this Reddit post here. My boyfriend proposed, he's 29, she's 27, and it was a disaster. My boyfriend and I have been together for four years. He proposed to me in a beautiful but public place. We wanted to take a picture and he told me to ask a girl nearby to take it for us. She seemed very annoyed that I asked, but begrudgingly stood back to take our photo. This was when he got down on one knee and proposed. I was mortified that the stranger was taking photos of this moment especially one that wasn't very happy to be doing so. This distracted me and I just felt so embarrassed in that moment that when she handed me back the phone without saying anything or congratulating us, uh, I did say yes, but later cried when we were in the car because of the situation and how embarrassed I felt at the time. He asked if he could redo it, which we did in a more private way, and then I said yes again. I thought everything turned out okay, but it turns out he was very hurt by my reaction the first time. He even cried about it. And I've rarely seen him cry about anything. I told him that I was so sorry for my reaction that it had nothing to do with him, that I was just embarrassed that a stranger didn't want to be there was watching our moment and made me feel so anxious. 
I just don't know how to fix it. We love each other so much, but I don't want this to be our proposal memory forever. What should I do? Uh, yeah, you should not disdain uh, your your partner. Because obviously the girl was cringing, right? So what's the point? The point is that you don't look up to him. You don't love him. And you're like you care more about you know, the strangest feelings than you care about your husband. You couldn't put on like a, you know, like good behavior for like two seconds in this in this moment. Anyway, let's let's see what the comments say. 2.1k upvotes. If you're both genuinely sorry for doing something that upset or hurt the other and you've said so and accepted the apologies, then time will heal this. Congratulations on your engagement. I think this will become a funny story. Uh, okay, uh, this guy said, similar to mine and my wife's story. We were on holiday somewhere significant to us and we were on a walk early in the morning. We, uh, we did it at 7am before the resort was open to the public. Uh, I pitched as well. We're not... What? Okay. On the walk, I asked her to stop and rest on a bench and the plan was to propose. She was like, no, my heart rate needs to stay above 100 BPM and stopping would ruin my stats. In the end, we got back to our room and I proposed uh, to the decking of our lodge and we uh, we had rented. Not quite as picturesque, but still lovely. Okay, whatever. Okay. 2.1k upvotes. You have to choose to laugh together about the crumpy woman who took your proposal picture. That's all you can do and learning to laugh about stuff like this will see you through many situations. It will also strengthen your relationship. It's just platitudes. Uh, 228 upvotes. You can go about life choosing to stress over the things you couldn't change or laugh about them. Okay. Uh... 111 upvotes. Yeah, this is the best case scenario of how it should go. But as a person with anxiety so severe, I have to take medication. This is her normal. The way OP described the situation sounds very similar to how I reacted to small uncomfortable moments before therapy medication. While it seems that she's choosing to be upset, it really isn't a mind over matter situation. When I'm in a situation like OP, my body can't regulate and it's hard to focus on the rational part of the brain. She should probably get checked at a primary care doctor and look into going to therapy. So what she's saying is it's not a fault because, you know, medical reasons just deflect responsibility any way you can okay we're going to end the video there again guys if you're new to the channel liking the content hit that sub hit all for notifications if you'd like to support me i do have a patreon with exclusive content newly revamped posting weekly content patreon.com slash the helios blog just go there and subscribe again it's patreon.com slash the helios blog you could also drop me a donation like tom m here shout us to him Thanks, guys, for taking the time to listen to my video, especially if you took the time to listen to the end. I really do appreciate it. You guys are wonderful, and I will see you next time.